The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is a member of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts and content creators, visit bio.link slash red5. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Nerds, discover your geeky haven with Twink.com. We've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years. Enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms. We carry top brands from Disney, Funko, Marvel, and DC, Star Wars, Harry Potter, and much, much more. We also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. With all these collectible goods, you're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Check out our affiliates. Bitty Boomers. Use code WeebyGeeks for 10, 15% off your purchase at Bitty Boomers. Also, too, Red Flag Workshop. Use code SMUGGLERS3 for 25% off all your patch and key tag needs. Uh, they have some great Star Wars National Park and Park Ranger patches. Also, too, Wookie at RebelSabers.com. That is Wookie with two E's for 10% off your purchase for all your Saber needs. Welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. Uh, it is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and my... Uh, why would the Smugglers 3 be on Weeby Geeks? Oh, episode hey, 300 hey. and you're still messing it up. Hey, okay. <laughs> it, Keep going. <laughs> it is another episode of Wookie Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, and myself, Mike. Obviously, my mind's not here, even though it is episode 300, which was a milestone when we started, I didn't know if we we're going to get to, so I'm so glad we are. But how are you guys doing? Not terrible. I'm not doing too bad. Still <laughs> reeling from um, all the craziness over the last month in Star Wars. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, the big event that happened last month in Star Wars was Star Wars Celebration. Well, we have with us tonight Dan Madsen, who is the one responsible for creating Star Wars Celebration. How are you doing, Dan? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, so it's all your fault. Yes, it's all my fault. If you hate celebration, <laughs> you can blame me. If you love it, well, you can you can give me a pat on the back, but I didn't do it alone. So had a lot of other people helping. I would say if you're hating it at this point in time, it's not your fault. <laughs> no, I have nothing to do with them at this point. So, so I mean, it's totally other issues. But yeah. No, I, I love Celebration. Uh, I've been to three. I've been to the three here in Orlando, five, six, and 2017. Yeah. Um, 
And actually, Mighty Marvel Geeks, my Marvel show, actually got selected to appear on the podcast stage in 2017. Fantastic. So I think that made us the first Marvel podcast to ever appear at Star Wars. It was great because it was right after Star Wars returning back to Marvel. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. That's very cool. Well, you're you're the first and maybe you're the last. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? So how how did the idea for Star Wars Celebration come about? Well, that's an interesting question. It actually um, um, it came from both of uh, both Lucasfilm and from I and my company. Uh, at the time, of course, I was running uh, the official Star Wars fan club and and putting out the Star Wars Insider magazine. And I and my crew we're talking about, you know, prior to episode one, I said, you know, we, we should, maybe we could do some sort of an official event to kind of kick off the whole thing. And actually Lucasfilm was talking about the same thing. And I got a call, uh, not but a couple of weeks after we had started thinking about it from Steve Sansweet, who at that time was uh, head of fan relations at Lucasfilm. And he said, Hey, we're talking about doing a, a, a fan convention but we really want the fan club to to do it because we want it to be an event by fans for fans. And I said, Steve, you're you're singing our song because we've been thinking about that already myself. So um, we were invited to come out to Skywalker Ranch and sit down with the whole licensing crew and Steve and talk about what what we envisioned this event being. Um, and, it, you know, we all had different ideas that we wrote down and some of them got nicked. Some of them went forward. Um, we tried to come up with where should it be held? We we're looking at Chicago or New York or, or Los Angeles. And really, the, you know, for me, since I was the one that was going to be having to to manage the whole thing. I, but, you know, I'm in Denver and the fan clubs in Denver. Um, and Colorado is kind of centrally located in the country. And I said, you know, we're going to need a lot of people to help put this thing on, a lot of volunteers. Um, I've got all of that, but they're all in Denver. And so we kind of went back and forth. Uh, we, we came back to Denver um, and it was only it was about a couple weeks after that, that the heads of Lucasfilm finally said, you know, yeah, let's do Denver. That sounds good. And so uh and that's how Denver became the first Star Wars celebration um, location. And um, it was a lot of work. I'd never put on a convention before. And uh, it, it, it took a lot of time and energy and, and uh, blood, sweat and tears. And we, uh, we had a lot of obstacles against us, but, uh, but we survived those. And, uh, and um, it happened. If I remember right, I did not go to that one. If I remember the stories right, essentially that celebration was the Woodstock of celebrations because of the rain. That is exactly what it was. You know, we we wanted to have the the first celebration at the Colorado Convention Center. Huge, huge. Everything's indoors under under one roof. Um, But they already booked for the dates that Lucasfilm wanted us to do the convention. Lucasfilm wanted it to be two weeks prior to episode one's release. And they weren't willing to move one weekend ahead or one weekend behind. They wanted it to be that weekend, you know, two weeks 
right before. So we were stuck because the convention center was already booked. We couldn't get that. So we kind of frantically went around looking, where else could we hold this? Uh, we went to uh, a former Air Force base here in Denver called Lowry mm-hmm. Air Force Base. And there's a, a museum called the Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum. And it's a huge hangar, aircraft hangar, um, that has vintage aircraft and such in it. But they had already been holding events in there. They have a huge space for that. So we looked at doing our primary facility there and then building what I can only describe as two giant circus tents outside for the for stage one and stage two. Um and uh, and so that's really how it all came to be. And then, you know, it was the worst. <laughs> we had the worst luck for weather I, I could have ever imagined. Uh, that weekend of Star Wars Celebration One is now considered the the worst rain we've ever had here in Denver in a hundred years. It was just it just like the skies opened up and just drenched everything. Um, and we had no we had no way to foresee that because there were elements that you know people stood in line outside to get inside and so you know it it it, it created you know mud and and uh, and wet rain but you know the fans didn't seem to mind it to be honest they uh, they were there to to celebrate their love of Star Wars. They hadn't had a convention like this, so this was such an exciting time. And the thought of getting inside and seeing all the the amazing things we had to show them, um, all the new merchandise for Episode 1, that was – it was the first place to buy a lot of that. We – Hasbro, we had action figures there that hadn't even come out to stores yet. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it – it was a. It was a, It was definitely. It was definitely the Star Wars Woodstock. And in fact, the person who coined that actually was Rick McCallum, the producer of the prequels. Okay. And backstage, um, I was standing there, and it just rained every morning. I'd get up, and I'd be thinking, "Please, please, let it be sunny today." And once again, the, it was just nonstop rain. And so I was backstage, and I said to Rick, "I said, I can't believe this. I said, this is this is my worst nightmare." And Rick said, "Dan." He says, don't worry about it. He said, this is, he says, I wouldn't have it any other way. He says, this is going to make this event special. People will remember 20, 30 years from now that they attended, you know, the, 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 the Star Wars Woodstock in the rain and mud. And it will, it will go down in history as such. And I said, well, I hope you're right. Cause for right now, stressful situation. Um, but it is remembered in that respect. It, people survived the mud and the rain to, to get through celebration one. And it was recreated in solo Star Wars story with the. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we didn't get any credit for that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, Dan, um, now anybody who does listening doesn't know you um, actually did a lot of um, similar jobs for what you've done for Star Wars in the Star Trek community before you got into Star Wars. Did the Star Wars side? How much of um, your experience from going to Star Trek conventions and just knowing the way those are taken. I don't know if you ran any, but how much of that did you take to help figure out how you would do a Star Wars convention? 
um, I did take a little bit of that. I did put on a convention um, in Chicago um, many, many, many years ago, and Michelle Nichols was the guest, uh, along with we had a Doctor Who guest and several other people from the sci-fi fantasy world. Um, and but but that was I did that with a partner, um, and that was the only other event I had done prior to Celebration. I'd been to many, many Star Trek conventions, um, and you know. To be honest, I, you know, Lucasfilm and I sat down and we really kind of developed what we thought was something a little bit different from the Star Trek conventions because we wanted this to be a special event. And so while there were similarities, there's a lot of things about them that wasn't like a Star Trek convention. And um, I, I learned a lot from going to conventions for Star Trek since I was my gosh, probably 14 years old. I went to my first Star Trek convention. Um, but yeah, I still, I, I think, I think we, we tried to do something a little bit different. We didn't want it to be the same old, same old that you see at Star Trek conventions. We wanted this to be something a little bit different and unique. And, uh, I, I think we accomplished that despite the rain and the mud. So. Sure. Uh, I don't have anything at the moment. <laughs> okay. Now, bef- before there was Star Wars Celebration, there was uh, what, the 10th anniversary convention? Yes, there was out in Los Angeles. And in fact, that's interesting you say that because that was the year that we launched, we relaunched the official Star Wars Lucasfilm fan club. As, as you guys maybe know, uh, the Star Wars fan club, um, goes back way back to uh, right after Star Wars opened. Yeah, uh, that was the old Bantha tracks, right? The old Bantha tracks newsletter. That's right. And in fact, the interesting thing, I probably I had to have been one of the first twenty five or fifty people to join that fan club because I was a huge fan of Star Wars, so I joined it. Um, and when I started my Star Trek club, the whole idea behind that was I thought, well, how come Star Trek? doesn't have an official fan club that's done really well like Star Wars has. So I based my Star Trek club, which then eventually became official, um, on what Lucasfilm had been doing with Star Wars. Um, And so when I got a call from Lucasfilm, this was in about 87, to relaunch the fan club because they'd seen what I had done with Star Trek and and, uh, wanted to relaunch the fan club outside of the company and have it, you know, be run by somebody outside of, of Lucasfilm. And, um, so that's when we sat down and came up with the whole concept of what we do. We called it the Lucasfilm fan club because at that time, nobody knew if George was ever going to get back to making new star Wars, but they did have two movies, um, on the burner and that was Willow and Indiana Jones and the last crusade. So we could cover all of those things until, you know, we all prayed that George would get back to doing Star Wars. Um, and it was at that 10th anniversary convention that we first launched the fan club. We had a we had a table there outside of the main room and we had um, all the information for the fan club. We had uh, sign up sheets so people could sign up right there at the convention. And for a lot of people, they that was the first time they heard that the fan club was relaunching was at that that tenth anniversary convention in um, in uh, in in Los Angeles, um, and um, I was going to say that, that was that was an important event. 
Wasn't there another historic moment that came from that event? There was indeed. There was the one and only time that the creator of Star Trek met the creator of Star Wars on stage. And uh, uh, it was quite a quite an emotional moment to see these two giants of the sci-fi world um, meeting one another. And uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was, you know, you know, amazing. And you captured the only photograph that shows. The only that. one that anybody has seen. I mean, maybe somebody had a picture and they've never shown it, but uh, yeah, the only one that's out there that, that people can see. And I've, I used it in both the Star Trek communicator magazine I did and it, been in the Star Wars Insider, um, so yeah, it's a it's a pretty amazing picture because you know the fact is is that uh, you know when you see when you think about what each of those guys accomplished um, and and the the legends that they they created and the fandoms that they started and there they are together in one one picture it's a it's a it's a powerful moment and i remember it so clearly it was wow you know i i'm sitting there thinking i can't believe cuz i had met both of them prior to this i had known both of them i'd known gene quite quite well actually i had just met george not long before that convention um, for the first time um, and uh, it was it was powerful to see those two on stage together well, I know with the three of us, we are pretty much from the generation of Star Trek, Star Wars. Yes, please, because we had both. We grew up with both. That's right. Uh, I mean, I'm the oldest of the three here. And for me, I had Star Trek before Star Wars even came about. Uh, I even had Space 1999. Oh, so yeah. anything anything sci-fi had my, had my attention. Uh, but it was Star Wars. You know, if I had to... I will watch both, but if you said you can only keep one, I am going to go Star Wars just a bit, but I knew my dad would do Star Trek, so no matter what, family was covered at the time. <laughs> so that, Yeah, but that's um, one of the reasons why I, lo- I love the fact that I found Pluto TV app for my yes. streaming and stuff, because Pluto TV has two 24-7 Trek channels. Oh yeah. One channel runs original and next generation. The other one runs um, Voyager and DS9, depending on what what time of day you're doing. Just twenty four seven, three sixty five. That's that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, there's so yeah. much Star Trek now that you can just run it constantly. There's enough oh, yeah. enough there, and it's so strange because you know the, the the new fans today that have that have come into this new era of Star Trek. You know, they weren't there back in the beginning when. It, all we had was the original series, um, and you know there weren't DVDs and, and DCRs, so you know you get on a rerun in the afternoon, and and that was it. You know, I used yeah. to record. I used to have a tape recorder, <clears throat> and I would put it up right by the speaker on the TV, and I'd record. So at the very least, after it was over, and days later, or in the evenings, I could sit there and listen. To the episodes, you know, it's the best you point. So, yeah, it was, it was, it's a whole different time now. It's, it, as, like as, as Warf says, we don't talk about the, that era. <laughs> um, yeah. Getting back to that celebration. Long time, ago, long time ago. In a galaxy fairly close to us. Um, yeah, going back to celebration, how you were just involved with celebration one, correct? That is correct. Did you expect it to become the phenomenon that it, it has now? 
I did. Um, at the time we were doing Celebration One, uh, you know, I really thought it was the one and only. I, I didn't. It's not that I didn't think there would be more down the line, but uh, I knew I wouldn't be doing them because it was so much work and created so much stress. Um, and I was doing the fan club at the same time as this, producing the magazine, running the fan club, um, p- running the catalog with all the merchandise. Um, so, you know, I mean, uh, I, I didn't I didn't really know that there would be any more after. I certainly didn't think that that they would there would be this many all after all these years and that there would be ones in London and there'd be some in Japan and that. That really surprises me. But, um, yeah, you know, it was uh, – I, I like the idea that when we did Celebration, we did it with the idea that that was, that was it. That was the one and only. And so we really wanted to make it special. Um, now, you said you guys were coming up with the idea for having a convention about the same time as Lucasfilm came up with the idea. How far out was that from the actual convention itself? Because I've, I've run some small conventions in, like, the Cleveland area here and helped with doing some of that stuff. And it's like I know what time – for a small-scale convention, I'm talking, like, less than 500 people, I know what kind of work goes into that. And I can't imagine on the scale of what you guys were dealing with. But how far out were you from the show? Oh, my gosh. It When – when we finally got the green light, we were less than a year. We were probably seven or eight months out from wow. when the convention was supposed to be held. Keeping in mind that, you know, I had never run a convention of this type ever. Um, and, you know, while Lucasfilm helped us and helped us get in touch with some of the actors and stuff to bring them to Denver, you know, everything was pretty much sat in our lap and we had to coordinate and organize everything. Um, we financially were in charge of everything. So, um, yeah, it was it, it, we had very little time to really put this whole thing together. And so the fact that we even did it on top of the weather that just, you know, poured down on us that weekend you know i still look back at that and i i still say it was the best of times it was the worst of times because it was uh it was a lot of a lot of stress during that time period the only, mm. the only thing missing was Jimi hendrix playing the star wars theme but <laughs> <laughs> pay big bucks to have seen that so, <laughs> yeah um, too. now during this time you even had a cameo role in phantom menace I did. I did. I was, was that happening while you were trying to organize celebration? I, uh, that, that happened. No, that happened, uh, in 97. I was invited over to the set to cover it for the magazine. Um, and the whole idea was that I would be there for a week, interview all the various people behind the scenes, the actors, everybody, um, so that I could create a library of interviews so that we could just pull them and use them as we needed for the magazine. Um, and so, um, I was offered a, a, a cameo part, um, there in that final parade scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they flew me over, they measured me for my own costume, um, and uh, fitted me for it. And then, put me out there and into the parade scene. And that was, uh, that was something I really, <clears throat> I never imagined in my wildest dreams would ever happen, Very but cool. uh, it did. And, um, and uh, it's funny because I had to stay an extra week because this was all filmed outside the whole parade scene. It was on the back lot. 
and they needed to get some more pickup shots that they hadn't gotten. And they couldn't do it for a, a few days because it was sunny the day that we filmed that and it was cloudy. And so they needed the weather to cooperate. <laughs> so they asked me to stay another week so that they could reshoot some of those scenes, <coughs> excuse me, and get the, um, have the, the lighting and the, the weather to be similar. And so I did, I said an extra week to, uh, to go back and do some of the stuff that they needed to do. Um, but you know, maybe that was some foreshadowing for the convention. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I thought of that, but you might be right. You know, it's funny cause I have such vivid memories of that time period being in London because that was <clears throat> at the exact time that princess Diana was killed. Oh, yeah. And so vividly remember uh, um, getting up, hearing the news, seeing the newspapers all with that plastered all over their headlines. And then I actually went out and went her funeral and watched the funeral go by. Um, wow. So it's, it was a, it was a historic time to be in London. I was there for, for episode one. Wow. Well, that was also a totally different era for um, Star Wars and Lucasfilm because um, we've seen since like Disney's taken over is like the, Back then, Luke George, you could tell George himself from the top down said, Hey, we're going to give fans access to all of this. They can see everything that was how we're doing it, what we're doing, everything we're doing. You were given access to take all these interviews and stuff. Plus, he had all the, um, he was on the cutting edge of web and web series and stuff before they even existed, of um, behind the scenes before the movies even came out. Right. And, um, now we're at the point where everything is under lock and key, and you might get a one documentary once the movie comes out. That's right. Yeah, it's a whole different era now with the Disney ownership. You know, it's um, uh, you know, I I haven't had to work directly with Disney on on the magazine and the fan club and such now. So, um, but I get the sense from those who will do that it's 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 a bit more convoluted than it was back in the day when you just had to work directly with Lucasfilm and you know the buck stopped at George and that's uh, that's where it's. You know, he'd, he'd sign off on something or not. And now it has to go through all these different, yep. you know, <clears throat> approvals and such through the, 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 the different levels of Disney. So when you were doing the magazine and um, setting up the conventions and stuff, how much did, input did George actually have on it? Or did he just let, um, like, Rick and some of the other guys just take care of it on their own? On their own or was he actually involved in a lot of it? He, you know, he was so busy doing his other stuff. I don't think he actually, he didn't actually read everything that went in the magazine to approve it and such, because that's what he had the licensing department to do. Um, but he did read the magazine because I sent it to him and he would comment on it from time to time. Um, and so, um, you know, there were certain things, I think if there was something that might have been, um, um, you know, revealing too much. I'm sure they ran that by George and said, what do you think? Do you think it's okay to put this in there? Um, and I know for a fact that for every issue, I was begging to get the first photos from episode one. Uh, and so they had to run that by George. You know, what can we give Dan and the fan club, you know, as opposed to giving Entertainment Weekly or something? And, uh, you know, they'd send us – two or three photos that we could use with my update. I would do every issue with Rick McCallum and, uh, <coughs> it, um, 
usually there were these behind the scenes shots that you didn't get to see very much. So it's like, okay, well, thanks. I'm glad we got something, but it doesn't show anything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, uh, George, George, uh, had others to, to do the approvals, but he, I know for a fact that he, he looked through the magazine and he would read certain issues. Um, cause I, I, I get comments from him about it. So how do you feel the direction of the magazine has gone or is going now? I don't see every issue, but I like what they're doing now. I mean, Titan, uh, I know the folks at Titan very well. They've been good friends of mine for a long time. And um, I, uh, I I think they're doing a fine job with it. You know, I mean, uh, there's some things maybe I would have done different than what they do now. But at the that the bottom line is, is that I think they're, I think they're doing a good job with the magazine. So I have, I have no complaints with it. I think, I think it looks great, and I think they have interesting pieces. Uh, you must be doing something okay, because in 2023, with the internet and um, everything on download and everything else, there's still a print magazine, and it's still selling enough that they can keep doing it. Yeah, because today it's hard to do a print magazine. You know, you go to a Barnes and Noble and such, and you see all the different magazines that are still out there that are being published. And it's amazing that that, that there's that many that have survived. But yeah, they're still putting out a print magazine, which shows that they're obviously doing something right. I still get it. Yeah, I, yeah. I've been a subscriber for for years. Yeah, for I've a lot of years. Noble, and I look through it. If it's one I, I'm interested in, I'll pick it up and buy it and, and read it and look through it. But I think they're doing a fine job, actually. Uh, now, wanted to touch back on on fan clubs. We know the last fan club that happened was Hyperspace, and then they folded it up. How do you feel about the fact that there is no Star Wars fan club at this point in time? Well, the internet has kind of changed all of that, you know. I mean, uh, now with with you know things being released, you know, instantaneously via the internet, um, and StarWars.com has kind of come into its own. So, <clears throat> in a way, StarWars.com is kind of you know taking the place of the fan club because there's all kinds of things you can get there and read interviews and read articles and things on there. So. Um, I, I just think, you know, now in this age with the Internet, I don't know that the fan club is, is important because you can publish the magazine, which Titan does, um, and you can direct people to the Star Wars website where they have all kinds of features and things that, you know, we would have done in the fan club magazine. So um, I don't I I don't think I don't think the fan club really would have had as much meaning today now in the current um, climate. Yeah, especially a lot of times fan clubs like Star Trek and Star Wars fan clubs and stuff was also a great way back in the day to meet other fans. That's right. And social media has taken that place way that, farther than you guys ever could have. That's a good point. Absolutely great. Yeah, but I also think that maybe in some ways it's taken it in in the bad ways that you might not have got with yeah. the fan club and the magazine. That's the problem with giving everybody a voice and um, not giving them a censor. Right. Well, that's I, true. I will say I miss hyperspace. Yeah. I, I was a member for, for years and I don't know if you could see right here. Of course it's an audio show, but you know, Dan, you can see, yep. I, I have a, this was an animation cell that was sent out to hyperspace members. I remember one year and, yeah. and I thought on the hyperspace forum page, 
no, but, oh, I got a hand. I got an eye. And I'm like, I'm keeping my mouth shut because I actually got a really decent sell. <laughs> um, and I, and I love it and I treasure it. It's one of yeah. my favorite pieces. And I, I loved stuff like that. You know, how even at the time, Dark Horse did a little one shot comic that went with it. And, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I'm, great. I'm, I'm okay with starwars.com and whatnot. And, and, and Titan running the magazine, but I was still, you know, teams have, you know, sports teams still have their fan clubs and whatnot. I still want a, a fan club. Yeah, I think it has more of a, a personal it, it, feel to it than. Yeah, just- it, it, it's, it's like a pride thing. It, it's, it's like, yeah, here's my Star Wars card. Yeah. No, I uh, get that too. It's just, you're part of a special group, special organization, and you're a part of that. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree. I think that that's missing now today. Um, it's less it's less um, personable than it was back in the day. But, you know, like I said, the times have changed and uh, the Internet has changed everything. And uh, that doesn't mean that they couldn't do another fan club and make it successful. But it would have to be done in a different way than how I how I did it. I right. think, you know. But, you really couldn't put anything exclusive on there because yeah. as soon as you do, someone in the fan club would leak it out and everybody would have it anyway. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly but you could have the community aspect that yeah. Yeah. you can't find otherwise necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, and very again, true. bring bring back like the merchandise part of it where you, you could get you know, fan club exclusive, you know, they, they do convention exclusives. They used to do fan club exclusive stuff. We did exclusive, uh, all kinds of exclusives. We did all kinds of posters. We did uh, medall- bronze medallions. We did yep. uh, we did our own exclusive figures with Hasbro. Where our first exclusive <clears throat> figures were the, uh, um, the figure and Dan uh, cantina band. Yep. And mm. that's our first Hasbro exclusive. Yep, and we we sold so many of those it wasn't even funny. And then uh, I missed out had, on that. We did Ula, Ula mm-hmm. and Just Crumb, um, yep. and uh, yeah. So we um, we had a lot of exclusives back in the day. We really tried hard at first. Lucasfilm kind of pushed back on that, um, but then they said, you know, okay. So finally, they gave in and let us do a lot of different exclusives. And uh, it, it, we did some very cool things. I'm quite proud of some of the, the exclusives that we did. I remember right. There was a Boba Fett exclusive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I still have some of the original posters that we did, which, you know, we commissioned specific artists to do some very cool right. of art that we turned into uh, posters and art prints and uh I, I still to this day I think they're some of the best things I've ever seen from Star Wars. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about the differences between um, the era when you were working with Star Wars and working with Lucasfilm off of here, and then what Disney's doing now. Um, what are you enjoying out of this Disney era of Star Wars since they've taken over? I mean, uh, everybody has their issues here and there, and that's just the way the fans are anyway. But what are you actually enjoying that's coming through right now, or what has come through? Well, I guess I enjoyed uh, Kenobi. 
Um, I thought that was a well done show. I uh, I enjoyed the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. Um, I haven't thought the third season has been as good as the first two. So that that, but I did really enjoy the first two of that. Um, um, Andor has been great. I've enjoyed Andor. Um, and uh, so yeah, the the series, the films, not so much. I mean. I haven't been. I haven't fallen in love with the sequels. I got to be honest. I mean, I they're they're beautiful. They're well made, but the sequels have not um, nurtured my my Star Wars fandom as I had hoped they would. Um, the <clears throat> there are moments though in the in the, the shows that have been on Disney Plus that I think have really um, gotten me excited for for what's coming down the pike. And I'm really looking forward to Ahsoka. I have, I'm hoping that that's everything that I, I imagine it will be. I, yeah. The, I, um, I agree. The sequel, the sequel trilogy movies, uh, I coined a term, or we coined a term here that it's, it's weird that it, it, it has weird feel because it was star Wars done by relay race. Right. There wasn't uh, there wasn't an actual outline saying, okay, we're starting here. This is where we're going to end. Let's fill in the story. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, and to be honest, the first one, The Force Awakens, there's so many similarities to A New Hope in that. Mm, yeah. In the storytelling, you know, this happens and then that happens and then this happens. And it's kind of like, you know, it, uh, it's kind of like, well, it was a retread of what they already did. But, um, yeah, you know, for some reason, when I saw each of the sequels, I, you know, they, they, they I enjoyed them. But. Years later, now they they just haven't held up for me. Yeah, um, I don't I, really, I don't really I don't really want to watch them over and over again like I like I do the original films. Still, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, Empire Strikes Back. I could watch that every week. I mean, I, it's it's so well made and so well done. But uh, yeah, I'm just not um, I'm not a, I'm not a diehard fan of the sequels. I was actually surprised. Um, my wife and I um, took a mini vacation this weekend, and just when we were sitting at the cabin once in a while, flipping on, TBS had um, Star Wars running all weekend. Oh, and yeah. I caught bits and pieces of the sequel trilogy, and it was like, there's parts in there that I'm like, wait a minute, I, it's been a couple of years since I've seen them. And <laughs> it's like, I, I totally forgot different parts. It's like, I need to go back through and watch them again. Yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. What my reaction is to now. Now it'd be almost like fresh eyes ten years later, or what? You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. that, it is because, like you said, we ju it just I just don't feel like watching them over and over again like the other movies. Mm -hmm. So there are parts where I just completely forget about. Yeah, I'm the same way, you know. And I there are certain things about the sequels that I really do like. I mean, I really like the character. Yeah, Ray. I, I think Ray was a good character, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they do with her in this new movie, where she'll be back, and seeing how they how they deal with that. But um, you know, one of the things that I think they really missed, and I've heard others say this, and I have to agree with them, is that they missed the opportunity in the sequels to have Luke, Leia, and Han all back together. Yes. Again. yes. And I, I you know, I thinking to myself, man, you know, you really missed that opportunity, and now that, that Carrie Fisher is gone, we can't. We'll never be able to do that. And right. so I would, I would even go as far as to say instead of missing the opportunity, they actually blew the opportunity. Yeah, true. very true. That I, should have I, just been in the in the first one. Yeah, I think they should have either 
put the get them all together in it, or don't don't use them in it. Right. Because right. George, they went back to the prequels, didn't use all of the main characters you you know. I mean, there was certain characters like Yoda you knew was old enough that he'd be in there. Yeah. Um, Obi Wan and Anakin had to be there, but other than that, there wasn't a whole bunch of other characters from the original trilogy that you're seeing as little kids. No. no. That- that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, I, I just I felt after that third movie opened and I, and we knew at that point that Carrie Fisher had passed away. I kept thinking to myself, man, what a what a what a what a missed opportunity that was. And uh, so that that really disappointed me because I was so looking forward yeah. to seeing them, the three of those on screen again all together. Yeah. And it. It didn't happen. And the way they kind of portrayed Han and Leia's relationship just seemed kind of disappointment to me, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, with what they've done um, with Mandalorian, with seeing Luke and um, doing the way they worked, working with um, Mark Hamill in that one and things, and uh, what we've seen with seeing Tarkin on the screen in Rogue One and such, what do you think the – now, Disney originally said they would never use Carrie Fisher in a, and they'll never recast Princess Leia. At this point, we're far enough out. Do we want to possibly either see her recast or work with Billy Lord and some of the other ones to get the okay and have and do um, like what they did with Tarkin and with Luke and have Princess Leia in her prime in another show or in another movie? You know, like I mean, on Luke and Leia in their original 80s look yeah. in a current movie. I mean, you you could do that. I guess it comes down to whether or not they could do it convincingly. Um, I mean, the technology is there to be able to do it. I mean, we did get to see Princess Leia, albeit as a little girl in Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about that, really. It, uh, well, so we, whether, did, we did kind of get Gary. I mean, saying could they, should they recast it with a different actress? Either way. Or cast it and make and do the facial thing. Yeah, <coughs> I mean they, yeah, they could do. They have bo- either option at this point because they. Um, I think the movie Solo. I think Alden Ehrenreich did a, a pretty good Solo. Yeah. yeah. For he hit. We've even said here that we. Th- I think the problem with Solo was not the movie itself as much as when they released it. Right. That's exactly what the problem was. Too much. Too too fast. It, but, and and yeah. one of the things I kept saying that. <clears throat> to a lot of different people. I said, you know, they're putting these things out too close together. I said, one of the amazing things about Star Wars back in the original days was, you know, you had two or three years in between each movie and that helped that helped build anticipation and excitement um, for the next movie. But, th- but then, you know, they got, they just started making too much too fast. And it's kind of like, bam, bam, bam. Here comes more Star Wars. And it's, it made it, I think, in my opinion, I think it made it less special. Yeah. Uh, you know, Star Wars was always special, and you had to wait for it because yep. it was worth waiting for. But, na- but you know, what they had done now was just – they're just giving us too much. And I, I think it feels less special to me is, is what I guess I'm trying to say. I, also, the during, fact that so- – go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, during that five-year time period, I – I was actually looking forward more to Rogue One and Solo yeah. than I was the episodics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then even now, okay, we haven't had a movie in a few years. Right. Cool. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've been getting a lot of stuff on Disney Plus. You know what? I'm okay with that because yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah. That that doesn't bother me 
because we we haven't been blasted with a Star Wars film every year. Right. Which, while I was looking forward to it, some more than others, I think I wasn't used to it because I'm used to the the three years apart. Because even when the prequels came out, even though they could have come out year after year, there was still the three-year pacing between films. And I think, I think, you know, because, and I think that worked for Star Wars. And the reason why is because Star Wars was more than just a movie. It was an event. And it was an event that you looked forward to seeing and people would get excited about it and they would start anticipating, you know, when they were going to go to the theater to see it and all the excitement around it. And, you know, when that was lost, that whole that whole aspect of Star Wars being an event um, was lost. And and I and I, I I remember being disappointed, but, you know. It's Disney is that's the way Disney was, you know, they just give you more, 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 you know, and right. that was the best idea for Star Wars. Well, I, I, I think now more, more is not always good. Right. I, I, I think if you get more and it's just okay. If you get right. more incredible, I guess that's a whole different story. But if you, you get oh, more of mediocre, you know, type, productions then it's kind of like uh yeah you know that's too much i don't want anymore right now well after this last little version when they talked about there's three new movies coming cool either put them three movies three years apart right and release or if you're going to do it and there's a potential chance of more films coming from each one of the, the three then put all three out in one year then wait three years before you do the next film or stagger them. One film comes out two years later. Another one comes out three years and then two of them come out three years later and you stagger them during the year, but put that break, you know, cool. Bring us back into the event. And then the next films that are continuations, give us time to breathe. Yeah. Give us that anticipation. Yeah. I get that too. I, I see what you're saying. I just think they need to get back to making Star Wars special and not just something that comes out all the time. Uh, right. You know, and that's that's where I uh, it, there was a certain magic in waiting. Um, and, and we're certainly waiting now for new movies. I mean, it's been years now since we had a new movie and it's going to probably be years before we see the next new. Yeah. Movie. And, and I'll be I'll be waiting for it. That anticipation is going to build. Rumors I've heard is that possibility of the first of those in 2025. Yeah, that's in like 25, 27, 29, possibly. Yeah, but um, it's like I think the Ray one is possibly the first one we're going to get. I do too. I think that because um, Filoni and Favreau are not done with the um, series as yet. Right, and their movie is going to be not when they're done with the series, but they got to build to a point where they're ready for that movie. Yeah, right. Um, and then Mangold hasn't even started on any of his stuff. It sounds like the Ray movie, if they've already got to the point where they're talking to Daisy Ridley, hopefully they at least have a working script. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah but, I agree. That, that I think is the first one they're going to be coming out with. But 25, 27, 29, great. Yeah. If they want to do a Rogue One or a solo movie at the same time, cool. Put one of those also in 25 or 27 don't put them in don't put it 26 28 because then we're going to go back to the same problem we had 
Yeah, too much. Yeah, one year after another. No, I hear yeah. what you're saying. What I'd like to see, though, let's see... Um, Solo re-released in the next year or two, but have a digitally remastered version where they just bring the lighting up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Solo was the, was the one out of all of the movies they've made that, um, especially that fell to the same problem I've had with the newer Star Trek. I know there was no light uh, anywhere. Actually, the Ron Howard yeah. cut. Yeah, Can it be considered that maybe it's your eyes that are starting to go. Probably. <laughs> I, I say do the Ron Howard cut. Let him let him go back in and, and finish. And recut it again? Recut, recut it, it the way he yeah. truly wanted that he yeah. wasn't allowed to. Let's get the Howard yeah. cut. I would be up for that. I would I would actually I would go see that. So I, I like Ron Howard. He's a good he's a good director and uh he's just a hell of a nice guy on top of that. So I'd 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 definitely go I'd definitely be up for that. One thing that's different, I heard from another podcast talking about this, that they, um, there was actually kind of a uh, plus to Ron Howard in general was um, it's hard to watch a movie and say that was a Ron Howard movie. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of signature stuff that's in every one of his movies other than his brother. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's almost like because they talk about chameleon actors that you can't see the actor there. They're just they're really great at what they do. But it's not like you're watching a movie and you recognize, hey, I, re- I know that actor from this. This you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not typecast. He's not that type of director. Like, gonna say, isn't, like if you're watching a Spielberg movie, you know it's a Spielberg movie. It, yeah. Isn't Clint in Solo? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought he was. about all of Ron's movies. Yeah. What, what, what was the last movie Ron Howard put out? Uh, I know he produced Willow, but or the new oh, Willow series. Yeah, series. I didn't know. Let you know. And he directed. I don't even yeah. remember. I don't even know. I can't remember. Well, Eric, while you're <laughs> looking that up. I'm sure I didn't see it, so. Are <laughs> We're almost out of our time limit with Dan, but I wanted to give Dan a chance to flip the tables and ask Uh-oh. us a couple hmm. questions. Um, before you do that, I just found out it looks like the last movie that Ron Howard directed was a movie called 13 Lives in 2022. Hmm. Bruh, I haven't even heard of that movie. I wouldn't either. 13, 13 Lives. Starred Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell. I have no idea. How do we not hear about this? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to have to find I, it now. I literally have not heard of that until this moment. V- Vigo and Colin, be wow. wonderful casting. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing to me. Yeah, I, I, I've never heard of this movie either. Yeah, great marketing on it. <laughs> that's Hollywood. Yeah, they, I mean, you could put it out now; it'd be brand new because I don't know how many people saw. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't even know. I don't even know if it was released in theaters or straight to streaming or what. I know, no, nor, nor do I. I, I. All I know is that I didn't see it. Yeah, and I didn't hear it. So, so I know he's doing some documentaries and stuff too. That's why a lot of stuff like Thirteen Lives wasn't a documentary. It was some of the mm-hmm. some of the other ones he's done since Solo were documentaries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, I got a question for you guys. It's, it's more it's a Star Wars directed. If you could do a spinoff of any one of the characters from any of the various Star Wars properties, what would it be? Who would you who would you want to see a movie wrapped around? Hmm. <clears throat> or or a character from one of the streaming shows. Just one character where you take and you wrap a movie around that character. <laughs> Do you guys want me to go first since y'all are thinking? Yeah. This is an easy one for me. Dr. Mm-hmm. Afra. 
Oh, yeah. Yes. Dr. Yeah, Afra, Triple Zero, yeah. BT1. Of course, we already yeah. got Chrysanthemum, but let's bring Chrysanthemum back into that series. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, Afra. Yeah, definitely. Afra is a great, that's a great idea. I think Afra live action can make a great Laura Croft slash Indiana Jones type Star Wars film. Just like, yeah. just like Rogue One and Andor has become the Mission, Mission Impossible, I Spy, um, uh, Avengers. I mean, the, the peel yeah. Avengers that not the Marvel comics, but the, yeah, no, the British spy good. show Avengers. Uh, that's a good, that was a good, that was a good suggestion. I, I hadn't thought of Dr. Effort, but that's a great idea. That actually, you talking about that brought it popped one into my head right away that, you know, it would be fun. And because it would just be a fun show would be do something with Hondo Onaka. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. the capers and stuff he gets into, and all these little things, and he's always slipping out the back door, and that would be, uh, it would, you know, how fun and just it'd be, a, like I said, just all around fun show. Yeah, I agree. That would be fun <laughs> too. Yes, those are great ideas. See, when, when you when you say Hondo, I think the old series uh, what was it Tales of the Golden Monkey. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that type of show with with Hondo. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. How about I, you? What's yours? I have always wanted to see um, a movie or a series or something based on on the <clears throat> the different bounty hunters that we saw in Empire. Oh yeah, like my favorites were always IG eighty eight and Bosk. Oh yeah, and I'd love to see like a thing with all of them, maybe competing for for the same uh, target or something. Or I think they could do something interesting there. You can't you know, go. With the bounty hunters because the bounty hunters are just they're just cool and they're badass and everybody yeah. loves mm. well, Star Wars the guild show, Derek, and mm. use Hondo on that show there but also yep. the throwing oh, some yeah. Masconata and get some adventures of Masconata yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah. In the in the Force Awakens, she's got all this potential, and do we see nothing of her in the other movies at all? I'm like, oh, yeah, she's just kind of like, what happened? There's so much promise there that there's Mm -hmm. she's such an awesome character, and she just disappears. Yeah, that's a good point. You're absolutely right. Mm. Yeah. Do you have have any other questions, Dan? That's it for right now. If you had given me more time, I could have come up with some others. <laughs> that, that's the fun part of flipping tables is you think yeah, the interview yeah. is all about you and we'll give you a chance to spin it on us. You know, I used to do uh, interviews constantly because I did most of the interviews for the Star Wars Insider and the Lucasfilm Fan Club magazine. So uh, my my brain was working in more in the tune of what kinds of questions. I haven't done interviews for so long now that my brain doesn't work quite as, as well as it used to. Well, a quick one about that. How much, um, like for us, you see here, we really don't do a whole lot of prep ahead of time. We just like to go, go conversational and just see where we go with this. Yeah, I like um, that. How much prep time did you guys do actually full on where you had to submit questions and stuff? Or did you go more conversational like this where you just see where you go with things? Never had to submit questions. I only, uh, I, I would, I, you know, if I was going to interview somebody, of course, I worked up what questions I thought I should ask them. But usually it always ended up with me only being able to ask about half the questions that I made up because the the interview would go off in a different direction. You know, they would say something that then would bring uh, up something in my mind that I would ask them about. And so, yeah, you know, a lot of times it went off in its own kind of just, you know, 
its own direction. And maybe about half of the, the questions that I had actually written down in advance were actually able to be used. Cool. That's some cool insight because I know you're like for a long time you were basically a professional interviewer. So yeah, I did a lot of interviews in the day. That's that's true. You know. Um, well, I know. I I hope I hope we held up this interview to the same standards that of Star Wars fan club and Star Wars Insider from when you were there. You sure did. Actually, you've had some great questions tonight. And and we want to thank you for for joining us on this historic episode for us of three hundred. Um, it, was, yeah, it was great that's, to. That's yeah. a great accomplishment. Three hundred. What, what a way to to have oh, our celebration than the Godfather of Star Wars okay. celebration, Dan Matson, with us. Uh, thank you for for joining us this week. I'm honored to be on your 300th episode, Mike. We are honored to have you. And Derek. <laughs> um, now, real quick, do you have anything coming up that you want to let anybody know about? Because uh, I know I don't know how much you're still working with fans in other areas or anything else that's going on. Is there anything happening that you want people to know? Well, I'm I'm working right now on my memoirs um, that I just released a early concept cover for on my, on my uh, social media. Um, size matters not it's called, and it's all, all of my thoughts all of my experiences, all of my adventures, um, working in the, the official worlds of star Wars and star Trek. So that's coming down the pike. Um, I, I plan on being at celebration Japan in two, 2025. Um, and I've got a few other things in the works that I just can't, say anything about yet but i'm things i'm very excited about so yeah there's there's hopefully going to be really cool things that i'm going to be working on here over the next couple of years it definitely looks like a an opportunity for dan to come over to weeby geeks to talk about that (laughs) memoir oh yeah amen absolutely again you can join us there too i'm happy to how can people find you uh, they can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm under Dan Matson. You can look me up um, on there. And on Twitter, I'm under the Dan Matson. Um, and on Instagram, I'm under Matson eight nine seven three. And uh, I post a lot of different things on each of those that are you know different things. So it's not the same thing all the time across all the platforms. But um, <clears throat> probably Facebook is where. Um, I, I, I post the most interesting things, I guess you might say. <laughs> well, again, thank you. We cannot wait to have you back on in the future. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed this chat. It's, it's, uh, it's been fun. Gentlemen, here's what's around the holonet. J7, where have you been? <laughs> he was quiet. He was actually good for when Dan was on. I know. Don't tell him. <laughs> Don't tell him we we're happy with him. He'll never know how to deal with it. He'll have like blow a circuit. I don't know, fellas. I got a bad feeling about this. See, that's the J7. <laughs> Just no. kidding. That's the J7. Um, Jedi Survivor. It's out. Uh, I know, Ken, you said you've been playing it some. Yeah. I I have not. Uh, I downloaded it. hundred, uh, at least for PC, 132 gigs. I think for Xbox, it was 136. Oh, yeah. Insane. See? That's why I pre-ordered it back in December. And um, the day it came out, I um, turned on my Xbox when I woke up in the morning, set, hit download, and then went to work. I got it, went to bed, and it was done by next morning. Because it was like, e- even with my fiber, fiber connection, it was still a three-hour download. I have no idea how long it took for me. And that's because I could, I could only deal with how fast it was coming off the server. 
Mm-hmm. What was that, Derek? I said it was a three-hour tour. That's right. A three-hour tour. Uh, hey, and from what, from what I've heard about some people um, playing the game, it, it's it, playing through it feels like you're on Gilligan's Island, too. Oh. <laughs> issues here and there and everywhere. I have not found that. I'm about five hours worth of playtime for me, but I'm a very much a try to be a completionist. So I get, I'm looking at every nook and cranny. So like a 20 hour game for me, a lot of times can take 40 or 50 hours to play. Well, as we're recording right now, electronic arts and respawn have released an update across PlayStation five, Xbox X and S and plans to let loose a new PC patch in the coming days. Okay. Hey, at least they're right on top of it. So, uh, despite being despite being well received at launch, Jedi Survivor players have found a fair number of issues within the game, recording performance struggles and other various bugs. Now, those have just become a bit more thin thanks to the latest update to the game. Isn't that why they play test these things? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, anymore. they should. No, no. I mean, that's no. why they have um, play- these actual, days. They, um, they do the release and fix it later strategy. Yeah. I know. Well, I know. At one point, uh, the EA studios here in Orlando used to play test because I used to be on the list. I had. I think the last time I play tested was in 2010. Because anytime they would do play tests, it's like, why did you do a day where I have to work, and then the days that I don't work, I don't get picked. Yeah. So, um, but I, I gotta check my play test portal again, see how I get reinstated. See, I don't play enough games to actually get onto anything like that. See, I got involved in play test, um, and it was more alpha testing than beta testing. Because you know, there were times like I was involved in the play test for Madden, uh, Madden Nine and Madden Ten, and so we were testing things as they were had just completed them during coding, and they needed to check make sure everything was working right. Yeah. Um, but by the time we got done, so then we all got called back for an, a final play test. Come find out, it wasn't a play test. It was a us being given a chance to, to play the game first before it releases in stores. And then we were also given a copy of the game. Nice. For whatever format we wanted. I'm like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> this was fun. So, um, but at the moment, uh, those on consoles can download, download the le- latest update. Uh, PC, my case, uh, they haven't said when it's going live, but it's going to roll out sometime this week. So I just need to put EA Origins back on open and, and make sure when the download, when the update happens, it automatically updates. Yeah. Uh, so the patch details, PC only, updated occlusion behavior for ray tracing, reduced idle time stalls, updated streaming budgets that will help alleviate transversal itching, performance improvements for some of the visual effects. All this coming soon to console. Uh, PC update, updated data handling when toggling race. Ray tracing improved on non-ray tracing performance. For PS5 only, fixed an HDR value mismatch that would cause the HDR step-ups to display incorrectly for PS5 users. Uh, fixed various save state errors. Fixed a streaming issue that caused some streaming scenarios to end on a black screen. Fixed an issue where one of the vents did not properly activate in stone spires. Audio fix for a narrative moment where the music was behaving incorrectly. Fixed lightsaber marks that were not dis- displaying correctly in some scenarios. Fixed a scenario where the player could enter a progression blocked state in the Loser Hulk. Fixed an elevator to prevent the player from falling through it and entering a progression blocked state. Fixed a bug where Ravis would become unbeatable. <laughs> Man, 
Uh, yeah, like I said, it'd be nice if they actually um, would have put it out or given it early to um, some early beta testers to actually run the game from they, beginning to end. They, yeah, well, they, they they have that. They have alpha testers on site. I just don't understand why they didn't catch this. Uh, hey, hey, Ken, what kind of Xbox do you have, the X or the S? I got the S. Fix a severe animation issue that would break a late game narrative sequence. Yeah. Fix a so collision bug where players can can get stuck inside a meditation chamber. That really would, be so bad. Yeah. But I went with the S because it was like 200 bucks less. Mm. <laughs> Performance-wise, it's very close to the X anyway. Yeah. And most of the games I have, I get free from Xbox, um, mm. from the Xbox Live. Right. So it's like, I don't, I have very, I had very few games anyway for my um, Xbox 360 and Xbox One physically. Well, 360, I had a bunch, but... For Xbox mm-hmm. One, I had very few physical games. So we were like, you know what? For 250 bucks, I can get an Xbox S. Another 250 bucks to get a super large hard drive to download everything. Yeah. Well, I already had a five terabyte, so I just picked up a... <laughs> and um, actually, at Costco's, you can get a... Um, I got my eight terabyte for 130 Yeah. Where I got a five terabyte, the one I have that I use on my Xbox now for... It was like 80 or 90 bucks. Uh, added a note explaining that some BD, BD1 abilities are not available while in combat. Improved text scrolling, minor text translation fixes, and various crash fixes. And I think it's funny. They say minor text translation fixes. Someone was um, one of these people who, who was looking at the Arabish on various walls. I'm like, oh, okay, what's this? And all of a sudden, as they're starting to translate, realized all they did is some developer just went, Oh, this is placeholder Jake JK LMNOPQRSTUV. But in Arabic, it looks cool. This is just a placeholder. So no real word there. Like, oh, okay. Uh, known issues. Improving performance on newer i7 and i9 CPUs that have efficiency cores. Uh, another PC. Uh, general performance improvements to improve both CPU and GPU utilization. Um, and some hitching, which can be attributed to streaming ray tracing data and then various bug fixes. So that's it. Seems eh, like a, just a, minor PC, stuff. PC would be the, hard, the way harder platform to actually get a game ready for. Because there's such a variety of what it could be running on. Yes like, and no. For Xbox, you have the Series X and X, and that's the only thing that you can run this on. Mm. It's not even, it's not, you can't run it on Xbox One because I tried to download it. It's not available. No, it's <laughs> not on PlayStation. It's only on PS5. Yep. So it, it's like there, this is the one way that runs it. Okay, let's make it run for that system. Yeah. Xbox, yeah. this is, let's make it run for that system. PC, you get all kinds of different that options shoot. that people have. Right. Well, Final story of the night, Star Wars, Kathleen Kennedy offers status on updates on Taika Waititi movie, Rogue Squadron, and more. So one film that hasn't been given substantial updates yet has been, hasn't been scrapped or delayed is a project from Taika Waititi, which Kennedy detailed, Taika is working away. He's just, and he won't get mad at me for saying this, slow. <laughs> We've got a couple of acts. We need a third. In addition, he is seemingly he's seeming speed with developing movies and his ever growing list of projects he's involved with. We likely shouldn't expect more significant momentum on that project anytime soon. I, I'm kind of conflicted on that project anyway, because it's like I, I've seen most of what he's made actually of his project that is that he made and directed and wrote. I don't know how well that's going to translate to Star Wars, but I'm interested to see what, what happens. Right. But the but the few things that he did with Mandalorian season one, yeah, was great. Well, he acted. 
He did. If I remember, he didn't direct it, did he? Uh, he directed an episode or two. Yeah, even there, even then, uh, he didn't write it. He was uh, he came in as the director for that episode. Right. It's not. It wasn't his story. I'm looking at, look at the stuff that he's actually directed and developed. Um, things like what we do in the shadows, or um, our flag means death, or whatever that that pirate one he did. Those would be a little bit of a weird feel for Star Wars to have it have that type of feel of a show. Right now, back in 2020, Kennedy announced the TV series Star Wars Lando and the film Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Mm -hmm. While there has been no noteworthy momentum on Lando, various reports about Rogue Squadron imply that Patty Jenkins' directed project has been scrapped altogether. Yet, Kennedy claimed Lando is still on the books, and Rogue Squadron is still on the books. We just Mm. want them to be great. Mm -hmm. Rogue Squadron, hmm, they're trying to figure out ideas. Wait, let's bring in some, um, let me look. Oh, we've we've said it. Stop making it a film. Let it be a Patty Jenkins written or directed series. Or bring in guys like Aaron Alston and Michael Stackpole and some of the ones that wrote Rogue Squadron originally for ideas. Yeah. Even if they're just sitting in the writer's room giving ideas on how to do this. I mean, there was, what, 10 Rogue Squadron books? Yep. And then the Lando series? I don't remember. I'm sure we talked about it. I don't remember. But... If it's Lando with Donald Glover. Yeah, it's Donald Glover. Yeah. With the occasional Billy D. Williams in present time going, I remember this adventure here. And then it goes back to that adventure. You're thinking um, Young Indiana Jones Chronicle style. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I don't think I would want that. I don't like that, no. No. But I do but like it, the, idea, the possibility of bringing Aaron Alston back in, or not Aaron, what's his name? Um, Aldenreich to actually come in and. Uh, do solo right. here and there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Which he said he would come back and do do yeah. more. So um other than that, final stories, guys? Final thoughts? Well, back talking about Survivor, it it is fun that um you start off this game and it feels like you just p- set down the last game. The controls, everything is um just like the last game. <laughs> it feels and it, it has all the best parts of like Tomb Raider and Uncharted in the Star Wars universe. Hmm. Which is what the original one had, but this one's even better at it. And it's cool because you start in the underbelly of Coruscant. Oh, cool. So I told you, I told you, Derek, I wouldn't give you any spoilers. So that's, that really doesn't give me spoilers. It's just, just uh, <laughs> I like it. And he's got, and he's got a new crew, which is interesting to start off. Cause you're like, wait a minute. I thought we were going to see the whole, um, actually his crew from the old game. So, um, the one cool thing that this one does have that I've not seen in a lot of games is when you start the game, there's about a five minute um, montage to bring you up to speed on where you were at the end of the, of the old game. So it's a montage of going through the old game and bringing you up to speed on where you were at the end of it. Oh, that's cool. That's right. Done a kind of like memory flashback type style. Right. Yeah. And the pre-order um, skins and stuff were cool because I have the Han, I have the um, Luke from the Yavin and I have um, the Hermit, which is the Obi-Wan. Oh, nice. Uh, from what I saw, I can go, I, I did not get the deluxe, but I could go back and get those as uh purchased DLC later. It just cost me 20 bucks. Yeah. I said, forget it. And just bought it. I just bought the deluxe edition back in December. Mm-hmm. I figured I was going to end up getting it anyway. I, I just couldn't do it at the, at the time. So, uh, any other final thoughts? Nope. Well, on that note, gentlemen, sounds like there's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. Ah!
released information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2! Oh, I'm going to lose